0: We've been working our way through this letter, and we're in the home stretch. We're almost there. After this morning, we'll have uh, two more sermons, and we'll be done with the whole thing. Uh, and And that's a good thing. That's one of the the things that we'll consistently do is try to, when we can, preach through whole books uh, of the Bible, or or at least large chunks of them, because uh, that helps us. It's it's uh, gives us a better understanding of the context. Uh, when we are looking at just seven or eight verses to see how they plug into the whole of that book, but also to the whole of of Scripture. Um, It's also a good safeguard when we do that. Uh, But it assures that we hear all that God wants us to hear, and not just maybe the the pastor's uh, hobby horse uh, or or soapbox uh, issues that he might want to address. And so in covering the whole of this letter, we've been able to see a large variety of topics that have been touched on in this letter. Um, but the topics do have somewhat of a unifying theme, and it's that they have all been affected in some way by this false teaching that's been going on uh, in the church. So I'll remind you of the context here of what this letter what this letter of 1 Timothy is. Uh, it's the Apostle Paul writing to his young ministry uh, companion and help named Timothy, who's uh, working in Ephesus. And he's working among the churches there, and Paul specifically left him there uh, to address a problem, uh, that there were false teachers there who were teaching a a different doctrine, a doctrine that had sidelined the gospel, Um, and it had a far-reaching impact. Uh, And so, uh, this morning, we're returning to a topic that we've already seen addressed once in this letter, and that's the topic of elders. Uh, back in chapter 3, we saw the qualifications for elders that needed to be considered, and this week we're going to look more closely at how the church ought to relate uh, to her elders. Right? So I want to read the passage. If you're able where you are to stand, then that's great. Stand for the reading of Scripture. If you're not on the surest of ground, then uh, then don't risk it. Uh, it'll be Okay. Uh, but if you are able, let's stand uh, and honor God's uh, word, uh, hopefully with our hearts as much as with our physical postures. This is the word of God, First Timothy 5, verses 17 through 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. May God add his blessing to the teaching and preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together this morning. Oh God, again, we thank you for this morning, we thank you for this beautiful day, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that as a personal God, you chose to reveal yourself to us, and that in your providence, you inspired authors, human authors, to write down your very words, and Lord, you've protected them throughout the ages, so that we have them in written form, that we can Read and memorize and meditate on and study and hear from you. And so, God, would you grant this morning that that is exactly what would happen, that we would hear from you clearly through the words of Scripture, that we would see Christ as he's freely offered in the gospel, that we would be drawn closer to him, that we would be drawn deeper in, that you would work in our hearts that which you want to work through this powerful word, Use it as the two-edged sword that it is. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. This is less likely to blow away. All right. So I want to help frame this passage for you a little bit before we jump into the, the individual verses because I really want you to see why this is important. Some of you may even be thinking, elders again? Gosh, we already, we already covered that. Why do we need to look at it again? Um, so it helps if we remember again this context that I mentioned briefly just a moment ago, that, that one of the big problems resulting in the Ephesian churches from this different doctrine that was being taught is that lives were not being changed. lives were not being changed by the doctrine that was being promoted and proclaimed in these churches. We've already looked at several times throughout the course of of this letter that the only real fuel for change, for our lives to be changed and transformed, is the gospel. We've talked again and again, this same gospel that saves also changes and transforms, no amount of, of willpower or suppressing our appetites. No amount of I-dotting or T-crossing will ever have any lasting effect on our lives, right? And so if the gospel is the fuel for transformation, for growth, for progress and godliness, right, then we need continual exposure to that gospel, We need to bask in it. We need to marinate in gospel truth over and over again about this beautiful and wonderful and amazing work that Christ has completed for us. This fact that, that we were so bad off, that we were dead in sin and rebellion, that we were so bad that the Son of God had to die for us. but that he did so willingly because he loves us so much. Right? That's the beautiful truth of the gospel, that we were so bad the Son of God had to die, but that he loves us so deeply that he was glad to do it. It was joy that was set before him that led him to do it. Those are the gospel truths we need to meditate upon. And guess what? God's Word is the only place where we will find those. And God has graciously given us not only His Word, but also the church and her leaders and officers who help us by shepherding us in those gospel truths and teaching us those gospel truths and holding us accountable to those gospel truths. And so that's why I've got this little chain of of four boxes on the top of your outline in your worship folder. And you have to kind of work your way backwards from the result that's on the right back to uh, one of the first causes, if you will, on the left. I want you to see how God has given us elders to help us understand his word, to help us understand these gospel truths that we must meditate upon and and marinate in if we are to be changed and transformed by the gospel. And see, all talking about elders again does matter because the gospel matters, because God's word matters, because our change and growth and transformation matters, because that's how we become assured and confident of our very salvation. That as we see that our lives have been changed by the power of the gospel, we'll know that we belong to him. We'll know that we're his because he's changed us through the gospel. And so, yes, that makes talking about elders again quite important. So now let's, let's dig in to this passage and to these few verses, and we'll start with 17 and 18. Uh, one of the first ways that, we, that the church needs to relate to her elders is to honor them. And so we've got verses uh, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now right out of the gate, I've got to tell you, I like that verse. I'm down with that. But then there's that next verse where we get compared to an ox and, and to a, a day laborer, a hired hand. So that brings things back into perspective. Paul's point is clear enough, though, from these verses that we do owe respect, that we do owe appreciation to the men that God has called and raised up to shepherd us, to help us, to teach us God's Word, to explain God's Word. We owe them some respect and some appreciation. There's a couple of practical things to consider here from these verses, uh, the verse is is here's in case you were wondering. Here's where we get uh, some of our idea of having two different types of elders in the church. So in a in a Presbyterian church like ours, you will have ruling elders and you will have teaching elders. And the big thing for you to know is that it's the same office, right? It is the, it's the same. Class, if you will, there's not uh, one type that is, that is better or more important or more powerful than the other. Uh, in our meetings together, we all get a single vote, um, and we have very similar qualifications and expectations. The biggest difference really comes down to the amount of time that each type of elder would spend uh, in his duties. Right, most elders have day jobs. Right, they've got full time employment. And so they're having to make sacrifices and carve time out of their schedules, so that they can find additional time to give to the church, to, to shepherding, to teaching, to leading. But, but some of us, and I counted a, a big luxury, honestly, uh, are called to do this full time. And that's a, that's a great that's a great privilege, and, and it is indeed a luxury now. All elders should be able to teach in some form or fashion. That's one of the qualifications from, from chapter 3 is that an, an, an elder should be apt to teach or, or able to teach. Now, I um, had a conversation this week, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that the elder has to be able to do this or even to stand in front of a Sunday school class of 30 people and teach. But it does mean that an elder should be able to communicate gospel truth. Right? Even if it is one-on-one, sharing a meal with somebody and explaining to them the truths of the gospel, right? the elder ought to be able to do that. But now some elders are going to have a greater share of that teaching responsibility. Right, And so we call those our, our teaching elders, right that's so as as an associate pastor, uh, right I'm a, I'm a teaching elder in the church. I've got a, a larger share of the teaching and, and preaching responsibility, and therefore we've also got some additional requirements about education and, and things like that to help prepare teaching elders uh, for this additional uh, teaching workload. So that's kind of the first practical, practical thing to see from these verses is why we have two types. Uh, not two classes necessarily, but but two types, uh, differing uh, amounts of time spent in their their duties. Now, here's the other practical thing to consider from from these verses, and it is it's the payment of those elders who are going to do this full time, right? Uh, and so this takes us back to our ever so flattering comparison to the ox, right? Uh, so what Paul is doing here is he's quoting from Deuteronomy 25, where the Lord forbids. The muzzling of the ox while it treads out the grain. The Lord says this is not good. Uh, and then Paul also is quoting Jesus uh, regarding the laborer being uh, worthy of his wages. Right. So when the ox is, is hitched up to his contraption where he uh, goes round and round and round treading on this grain and, and helping it be separated, uh, the husk, from the, from the good part, um, the temptation there is to put a muzzle on that ox so that he's not eating any of the product. Right. Uh, But number one, the Lord forbids that. And so if the Lord says don't do it, that's a good enough reason not to. But it's also kind of counterproductive if you think about it. If you're going to keep the the ox from eating a little bit while he goes, right, wouldn't that help the ox? Wouldn't that make him be able to go a little bit longer, work a little bit harder, work a little bit longer? Uh, And so there's, there's a practical aspect to this right and so here's the thought behind paying these elders or ministers if you will who are doing the bulk of the teaching and the pastoring and the shepherding right is is to make necessary provision for them so that they can focus on the task at hand right because time and energy spent worrying about making the mortgage right is time and energy not spent shepherding the flock right and and so there's a good practical thing now Attention needs to be kept here and a balance needs to be maintained, especially if you think about the Ephesian context. Because we learn from God's word that the elders in, in Ephesus, some of them were greedy and they were in it for the money, right? Uh, and so we've got to have a t- attention here, right? And it takes some wisdom. You don't want to pay your elders so much that they become fat and lazy nor do you want to pay them so little that there's anxiety at the end of every month. Um, So we need to find a balance. So that's the first way to relate to our elders is to honor them, uh, providing for them as necessary. Uh, The second way, and I've got it listed on your outline there, is to protect them. Uh, And the first way to protect them is to protect them from false accusations. So this is verse 19. Um, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three Witnesses. Now, what's this about? Well, think if you will for me, we need to remember, we need to always be mindful that we have an enemy. And our enemy hates the gospel because our enemy hates the finished work of Christ. He hates the hope that it brings, and he certainly hates the life transformation that it brings and so if the enemy hates the gospel then for those who would seek to do a good job of teaching and proclaiming and shepherding folks in that powerful life changing gospel we would be foolish if we didn't expect the enemy to attack that and so while, while God is, is omnipresent and he's everywhere at once, uh, our enemy is not, fortunately. And so he has to use agents. And very often he uses people. All right? and, and so part of this uh, protection here is to ever so slightly raise the bar, the, the burden of proof required, if you will, on what would be a legitimate charge or accusation brought against an elder. Now, this is not immunity, all right? This is not a pass given to the elder saying that they're somehow above the law. But it is an attempt to keep Satan from using one person to stifle the work of the gospel, all right? And so all of these things, if you'll think with me, All of these things, all of these ways to honor elders and protect elders, right, these are not so much about the men themselves as it is about the office and as it is about the gospel, as it is about God's word and and protecting the ministry of that gospel to us, to his people. Um, So we need to protect our elders from false accusation, but we also, let's be real, we need to protect our elders from themselves, right? And from their own sinfulness, right? None of us will ever, ever be immune from sin. Perfection has only been achieved once in this world by our Lord and Savior. And so we should expect that our elders, and we'll be sorely disappointed if we don't expect, will sin. And, and so uh, let's look at several of these verses actually tie into this. So, so let's look at 20 and 21. Right? As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that, they, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Um, yeah, I'll pick up on a few more in just a second. Uh, so if Satan can't get to these men and can't hinder the work of the gospel through false accusation, then he'll try to disqualify men by actual sin, right? And and so this is the key here in, in 20 is if they are persisting in sin. Okay? Cuz again, we're not expecting perfect elders. We're not expecting perfect pastors. You will be disappointed 10 times out of 10 if you are. But what we're expecting here is a lack of persistence in that sin, right? So so expect weakness even from your elders. Expect weakness from your pastor. Um, Paul makes sort of a a side little comment, a parenthetical comment in verse 3 about Timothy's physical weakness, right? He's got a lot of physical ailments. He's not a well man, right? And so Paul says, hey, uh, drink a little wine. Maybe it'll help with the stomach stuff that's going on, right? He's physically weak, right? And that's okay. God can still use him. Folks, we are all spiritually weak, and God will still use us. We all still sin. But here's the, the important pattern. Here's the important cycle that, that all of us ought to be in. Right? Hopefully your elders will be demonstrating it for you. And here would be the pattern. That yes, we do still sin. But then after we sin, we repent. And we go back to the cross again without sin. And with fresh faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and the power of his shed blood, we cry out and say, oh, God, change me from this. Change me. And then we strive after new obedience. Right? And so that's, that's the healthy cycle. We sin, we repent. We express fresh faith again in the power of the gospel, and we strive after new obedience. We sin, we repent. We run back to the cross. We strive again, right? So that's a, a healthy pattern. That's the life of a healthy Christian, right? Uh, we will never arrive in this, life, in this life. We will never not be in need of repentance. Uh, this past week, we, uh, we celebrated, some of us, the 499th anniversary uh, of, of the beginnings of the Reformation, of, of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the, to the church door in Wittenberg. 95 things that he wanted to see reformed in the church. And the very first thing on the list was that all of life is of repentance. The very essence of our lives as Christians ought to be repentance, right? And so this was fighting against the notion that you could arrive, that you could somehow reach a level where you didn't need again and again to run back to the cross, that you didn't need again and again to repent. And so first on Martin Luther's list was that all of life is repentance. And that's what we would see if this cycle were up and running in our lives, that yes, we're going to blow it, but then we're going to repent. We're going to call it sin. We're going to acknowledge how it, it it displeases God, it violates his law, and we run back to Christ again and again, and we strive the next time uh, to obey. The problem comes in, where the cycle is broken. The problem comes in is where instead of this cycle being repeated with fresh repentance and faith, that only the sin is repeated. That's where the problem comes in. is when our sin doesn't lead us to repentance, when it doesn't lead us back to the cross, when it doesn't eventually lead us to striving again after new obedience. And then we're persisting in sin. And this is where the church must step in. If the church is going to be the church, and it's going to love her elders well, but frankly, this is all of us, right? Every single one of us needs the church to step in if we are persisting in sin, and we need those around us that love us and care for us to say, "No, you can't do this this is this is spiritual suicide. this is only going to bring disaster and ruin you've got to repent and so we we pray and we we ask God in his kindness to lead our folks to repentance it's a little wasp visiting us so sometimes the church has to rebuke sometimes the church has to step in and certainly uh, we would seek to always follow good biblical principles for that laid out in Matthew 18 Right, that if there's a problem we'll go first alone to the person and then we'll take somebody but then if need be we take it before the church And we would rebuke publicly for for the good of that person, that they might be reclaimed, that they might be restored. But also for the good of the church. It says there in, in verse 20 that all the church might see and fear and be warned that sin is real and the consequences of persistent and unrepentant sin are eternal. And so this is where verse 22 would also come into play. We've got this this warning, right? Uh, If if an elder is going to fulfill this role uh, of bringing God's word to bear in our lives, which is a serious and important role, uh, then we can't be hasty in ordaining men to this office, right? It takes some time to evaluate their qualifications. We need some time to see if, in fact, they are growing in godliness. Some time to see if, in fact, they are not persisting, in sin, And so verses 24 and 25 shed a little bit more light on that for us with regard to this. Verse 24, uh, dealing with uh, the sins, some being conspicuous, and, and they're just right on the surface and you can see those. But some are deep down. Some were doing a good job of, of hiding and, and repressing. But they will eventually come to light. Verse 25 uh, sheds light sort of on the other side of that coin because it's not just the absence of sin that's important. There needs to be the presence of of good works, there needs to be the presence of godliness that, that we're growing in uh, and progressing in, this godliness that is, in fact evidence that we belong to the Lord, that we're His, and His gospel is alive and well in us and changing us. So uh, when it comes to these elders, uh, we do need uh, to honor these men that God have called. Uh, we need to protect them. We need to protect them from false accusation and from themselves, from their own sin. So let me, let me conclude by drawing your attention back to those four boxes. All right? so, so if being changed and transformed by the gospel is our goal, and man, I hope that it is. I hope that's why you're here this morning and why you're here every Sunday morning. Because that's your goal. That's why you're here. right? That we know that, that that's what we need. We know that that's the only thing that brings hope and assurance that we belong to him is that we're being changed from the inside out, right? And so if that's why you're here this morning, and indeed every morning, it's because you know you need exposure to the gospel again and again and again. You know that that the gospel truths are only found in God's Word, and so it matters that we'd gather together and we would sing it together and we would pray it and we would hear it preached then hopefully the Lord will develop in us a right appreciation and honor and desire to protect our elders as well. All of these men who've been called to this task of, of bringing God's word to bear, bringing it to bear on our lives so that we can be changed by this gospel. These are, these are gifts of God's grace. He's given them to us for our good. Let's pray together now. Oh God, we do thank you for the good gifts of your grace certainly for the Lord Jesus who makes any of this possible, any of this discussion possible at all because he was willing to suffer and die and that you raised him on the third day and that you accepted his payment of our sins in full and you took away our guilt and our shame and our condemnation and you promised to change us and transform us by the very same gospel. And so, Father, we thank you for the men that you've raised up, the men that you've given even throughout this church's 30 years, Uh, we thank you for them. Uh, We thank you for their faithfulness to the gospel. We thank you for the church's faithfulness uh, to rebuke men who have persisted in sin. Lord, even that is your grace. Even that is your good gift. And so, Lord, help us as a church to honor appropriately the men that you've called to serve the church. Help us to protect them, both from false accusation and from their own sin and guilt. Lord, may we all together be a people who live in this healthy cycle of repenting when we have sinned, of running back to the cross with with fresh faith in the power of Christ's shed blood and that by your grace we would continue to endeavor after new obedience and that you by your grace would keep us in that healthy cycle of repenting and trusting and striving. Do it by your grace, Lord. It's our only hope. We can't do it ourselves. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.